0: His little sister now had contracted this blood disorder and really the only way for her to be healed from this disease was to receive a blood transfusion from someone who had previously been healed from it and so since her brother had and since they shared the same rare blood type it was an obvious match so the doctor asked the little boy would you give your blood for your sister Mary he hesitated his lower lip began to tremble and then a smile came over his face and he said sure for my sister I will give her my blood Soon the two children were reeled into the hospital room. Mary was very pale and thin. Johnny was very robust and healthy. Neither spoke. When their eyes finally met, Johnny grinned. And as the blood began to flow out of his arm and through the tube, his face fell. And with the ordeal almost over and his voice slightly shaky, he broke the silence. He looked at the doctor and said, Doctor, when do I die? Only then did the doctor realize why Johnny had hesitated, why he had been so uncertain, so unsure if he could give the blood to his sister, because he thought it meant donating his blood meant giving his life. He thought he was giving his life up for his sister. He didn't realize that it was much less of a commitment than that. First, Perez, we have a Savior who gave, yes, of his blood for us, but he also gave completely of himself to us. He gave totally. He died on the cross for you. His blood cleanses you, washes you white as snow, but it was a full-on commitment. It was completely himself. He shed his blood. He sacrificed. The wages of sin is death. That's the payment that we must pay apart from Christ. It would be our own lives, but instead he substitutes himself. The blood that you should spill, your own blood, he says, no, I'll give my own. The life that you were supposed to live, he says, I will step in your place. I will do everything that was necessary to reconcile you to God. So this meal asks us to look back. It says, look back and remember what Christ has done. See these elements, see his body and see his blood. Remember, do this in remembrance of me, he says. But it also tells us to look forward. The passage that John read from Revelation chapter 19 and our call to worship, it's a looking forward to another meal that we're going to celebrate. A better meal, a, a tastier meal, if you will, the marriage supper of the Lamb that's gonna consummate this relationship with God and with the body of Christ. So we remember what God has done, but we also look forward to another meal that we're going to partake of. The Lord's Supper we call a sacrament. Maybe you're not familiar with that term. We believe in the Presbyterian Church that there are two sacraments. There's baptism and the Lord's Supper. Other churches believe that there are others, but we just believe in baptism and the Lord's Supper. Here's what a sacrament is. A sacrament is a holy ordinance instituted by Christ, wherein, by sensible signs, Christ and the benefits of the new covenant are represented, sealed, and applied to believers. So for it to be a sacrament, it has to be something that Christ showed us how to do. He taught us to do. And of course, in the case of the Lord's Supper, Christ instituted this. He, he demonstrated it for his apostles, for the disciples there in the upper room. He, he showed that this is what they were to do and how they were to do it. But that's not all that Paul asks us to consider in this passage in 1 Corinthians 11. We come to the table to remember But it's not just about coming to the table to take something. We're coming to the table to receive something from Christ. He gives this to us. We don't come and take it ourselves. And we don't come flippantly. We don't come arrogantly. We come humbly and faithfully. Because the Lord's Supper is a sacred meal. So we've got to be careful to remember the sacrifice that it represents, but also to partake of it in a manner that's pleasing to God. Paul's very clear about that. We've got to partake of it in a manner that's worthy We examine ourselves. Well, what all does that mean? Well, we'll talk about it. And we should pray for the grace and the nourishment that it promises and provides. So number one, how do we come to this meal? What's the manner in which we are to come? Well, Paul addresses that in in the section preceding what I read, verses 17 through 22. You know, throughout the first ten chapters of 1 Corinthians, Paul is just railing on the Corinthians. I can't believe you do this. Stop it and start doing this. (laughs) I can't believe that you did this, so don't do that anymore. Start doing these other things. And he's constantly getting on to them for their behaviors. But what he seems to always be coming back to are the factions and divisions that are amongst them. He starts it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Some of you say, I follow Paul. Others say, I follow Apollos. Some say, I follow Peter. And he's asked rhetorically, is Christ divided? Almost like, are you kidding me? <laughs> What do you mean some follow me and some follow Peter? This, this is not how it's supposed to be. You've got it all wrong. You've put divisions amongst yourselves, and this is not how it's to be in the body of Christ. So as we come to our section, there's still factions. There's still these divisions amongst the body. Well, what were they doing? Well, they weren't eating together. Some were going hungry while some were getting drunk. They were humiliating one another in what they were doing. So it says, it'd be better for some of you to just eat and drink your fill at home and then come and participate in the supper together. Commentator Leon Morris says that it's likely the Corinthians were observing a pagan practice of the day called guilds. This is what the guilds were. There were pagan get-togethers or rituals where families would come together for a meal and the wealthy and upper-class people would eat like this awesome five-course meal and everybody would have all this wonderful food and then the middle class would have what was left And then the servants, and then the slaves would get just the scraps. So that's probably what they're doing here. They're just looking exactly like the culture. Obviously, that's not how we're supposed to take the Lord's Supper, right? We're supposed to take it together as a collective body. None is better than another. Paul's saying, you have no idea what you're doing as you come to the table. You're doing it completely wrong. So he tells them the two ways in which they are to come. They're to come together, and they are to come trusting there's unity. Paul says other places. There's neither Jew nor Greek in the gospel. There's, there's neither male nor female, black or white, rich or poor. We are all one in Christ Jesus. So we come together. It's why the practice here at First Pres, as, as we'll do in just a few minutes, you'll take one of, the, one of the elements, you'll take the bread, for instance, and we will hold it until everyone has been served, and then we will partake of it together. There's beautiful symbolism there. None is better than another. There's not one Christian that has it all right and ones that we just kind of fall in afterwards. We're all together. We come from different backgrounds. We have different jobs. We have different socioeconomic statuses. We're we're a multi generational, multi ethnic. We're male and female, we're young and old. Some of us have been walking with the Lord for years and decades and decades, and some for just maybe weeks or months. Some of some of us have grown up in this church, some of us are brand new. But at the table, we are one in Christ, and we eat of this together. We're nourished by this meal together. Secondly, firstly, we come together. Secondly, we come trusting. Paul's upset with the Corinthians. You're coming to this table selfishly, and you're only trusting in yourself. You have no regard for Christ. The Corinthians truly were making a mockery of this meal because they were coming in such a wrong manner. Not together, not unified, but selfishly and individually. So secondly, what do we do at the meal? How do we come? We come together and we come trusting. But secondly, once we're here at the meal to receive it, what do we do? Remember, considering the death of Christ is to be at the forefront of our minds as we partake of the Lord's Supper. So what do we do at the meal? We receive and we remember. We trust, we we went together and then trusting. Now remember and receive, or receive and remember. Paul begins the section by saying, I receive from the Lord what I have also delivered to you. This is something that I receive from the apostles and from Christ. I'm now telling you how you're supposed to be doing it properly. So he begins in verse twenty four. This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my body. What does Paul mean when he says that? Well, as you can imagine, over church history, there's been a wide variety of opinions on what this means. I'll just give you the two ends of the spectrum. On one end of the spectrum, there's the Catholic view. There's the view of transubstantiation. That means the Catholics believe that upon the the, the prayer, upon the, the blessing over the sacraments, that it actually turns into the actual body and blood of Christ. So they believe that upon taking these sacraments, they are drinking Christ's blood and literally eating his flesh. We don't believe that, but then there's the other view, other end of the spectrum, which is really probably the the popular Protestant view, which is the memorial view of the sacraments, that the body and blood, the bread and wine, are just symbolic. They just symbolize what Christ uh, Christ's body and blood. Probably what most of you have been taught growing up, that this is just just a remembering. It's just a memorial. We believe it's something different. In the PCA, we believe what's called the Reformed Real Presence View, and here's what that means. It is memorial. We do believe that we're remembering, but we believe that it's more than that. We don't believe that Christ descends to us to share this meal with us. We believe, in a mysterious way, we go up into the heavens to receive this meal from Christ. We are actually communing with Him as we partake of this meal. Here's what John Calvin says. The Reformed view is not transubstantiation, and it's not memorialism, much more, because it's not merely a memorial to Christ or a testimony of our faith in Christ, though it is that. It's real communion with Christ in heaven and nourishment of our faith. The Christian's identification with the risen Christ is so real and significant that there's a genuine sense in which the Christian is now where Christ is. The Christian is seated with Christ in the heavenlies. The Christian has come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to Jesus and his blood. We are where Jesus is, through the mystical union affected by the Holy Spirit. Our subjective experience of the mystical union grows as our faith grows. The Holy Spirit uses the communion service to increase our faith, to strengthen our faith, to confirm our faith. Thus, through the communion service, we have communion with the total person of Christ, including his body, which was broken, and his blood, which was shed for our salvation. So it is symbolic, but we are spiritually feeding upon Christ's blood and his body. And it is nourishing us. It's benefiting us. It's, as we'll talk in a minute, it's sealing things within us that are true. We are Christ's, the benefit of the new covenant. His, if we are united with him in his death, we will be united with him in his resurrection. Those truths are being sealed in us as we partake of this meal. But quite literally, we are rising to, seat, to sit with our risen Lord, eating and drinking nourishment for ourselves. What a blessing. What a beautiful imagery. So one, we receive, but we also remember. Do this in remembrance of me. Paul says this twice in this section. Why are we to partake of this meal frequently? Well, who doesn't need to be reminded of something a lot, right? Are you always reminding your kids or perhaps your spouse to do something? We are forgetful people. We need to be reminded. And so we observe it often because we don't you see what was needed for your salvation? Don't you see how awful your sin is and the payment that it required? Don't you remember what Christ did? Don't you remember his death? Don't you remember his atonement for you? We need to be reminded again and again and again that's why we need a sermon again and again and again. You need to hear it put in different ways and from different people. You need it over and over and over. We hear the word preached, but in the, in the elements we get to see it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. We get a picture, if you will, of the gospel truths here in these elements. And Paul says in verse 25, Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. There's an active and a repeated remembering that this table asks of us, what he has done, and the faith it requires from us. I don't know what your practice is when you receive the elements. Maybe uh, you receive it and you pray. You pray for the Lord to give you faith. I believe that's a great practice. Certainly, as you sit up front, you receive, you receive an element and you have a few moments to think about what you're doing. That's a great thing to do. Are you, am I coming in faith this morning? Do I understand my need for this table and the sacrifice it represents? Am I coming in faith? It doesn't mean that I'm coming perfectly or that I don't have some doubts that uh, are still churning within me. That's okay. Am I coming in faith and do I see my need for this? Or have you even considered it? Maybe you haven't even thought about it. It hasn't even, oh yeah, and, we come, and you come to the table. Have you prepared yourself, examined yourself this morning? But finally we partake and celebrate this meal until the Lord returns and in doing so we're proclaiming our faith in it. Hopefully that is what we're proclaiming as we partake of it. So what do we do at the meal? We receive and we remember. But lastly, who is welcome to the meal? Not everyone in the whole world is welcome to come here. It's not of benefit to everyone. If if we aren't coming in faith then the meal is of no benefit to us. So who is welcome? Who is welcome at this Lord's table? This table is not first presence table this table is not the pca's table it's the lord's table anyone who has put their faith and hope in jesus christ they're a member in good standing in a bible believing church they are invited they are asked to receive the elements by faith but how are you coming imagine if the president of the united states or maybe the queen of england or some other dignitary has invited you to dinner well you're going to stress about that for a few days i would imagine probably go out and buy you a new outfit or a new tie, maybe a crash course in cotillion. You're going to want to know, how am I supposed to behave as I come to this table? Am I supposed to wait and only speak when spoken to? Make sure the elbows are off the table. There's so much that you're going to think about leading up to that. How am I going to behave at this table with these people that are so important? Should it not be the same at the Lord's table? Thinking about it. Partaking of the Lord's Supper As Paul says beginning in verse 27, it demands a strict self-examination. Our book of church order requires us to let you know as a congregation at least one week in advance before we're going to observe the Lord's Supper, which we often put in the bulletin. So Paul says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of of the Lord. Here's what one commentator says on this verse. Such an unworthy reception is tantamount to profaning or treating as unholy the holy sacrament of the Lord instituted for the benefit of his people. When Paul refers to an unworthy eating of the bread or drinking of the cup, he refers to the manner in which the sacrament is received. He does not mean to refer to the worthiness of the recipient of the sacramental elements, but to the way in which the recipient partakes of the sacrament. That's an important distinction. The worthiness is not that you're perfect. Of course, we all know that we're not perfect. It's not your worthiness to come. It's the worthiness that you're coming to take to receive the elements. Have you prepared yourself? Are you coming in faith? Those are the two most important questions. How are you coming to the table this morning? Have you even considered it? Have you thought about what you're coming to do, or is it just another observance? Verses 28 and 29 end our section, but they're very essential for us. Let a man examine himself. What does it mean to examine ourselves? Can we examine ourselves? Yes, we can. Let no one approach the Lord's table who has not properly prepared themselves. Don't do it carelessly. Don't do it without thought. Are you coming in faith today? The word examine here means to test something to determine its genuineness. Well, here's some diagnostic questions you might ask yourself. Do you recognize your sinfulness... And the misery that it causes you and the people around you. Have you repented of that sin and do you endeavor to live a changed life unto obedience to God? Do you trust in Christ alone for your salvation? Do you realize that this is not expecting a perfect faith, but do you consistently see the fruit of faith in your life? Are you living in grateful obedience? Are you at odds with a brother or sister in Christ and you need to offer forgiveness to them or perhaps ask for it from them? Do you see your need for the death of Christ? Do you see it as a benefit to you? One German theologian, and really struggling with the question of who is to be admitted to the table, says this, Those who are displeased with themselves because of their sins, but who nevertheless trust that their sins are pardoned, and that their continuing weakness is covered by the suffering and death of Christ, and who also desire more and more to strengthen their faith and to lead a better life. They are welcome at the Lord's table. This special preparation, this call to examination is not meant to discourage you. It's not meant to frighten anyone. It's meant to show you what is prescribed by Scripture that we are to do before coming and receiving. So that it will be a great blessing to us and not a matter of judgment. So the outcome of the examination should be repentance. It should be confession of sin, but a renewed faith and a desire to commune with the Lord. So who is welcome? Who is welcome? the faithful, and the forgiven. They are welcome at the table. This doesn't mean that your faith is perfect, but it does mean that you're capable of examining yourself. You see, Paul makes it clear that this is a great blessing to come, but there's also a great warning that comes with it. It's both. It's why we do what's called fencing the table each time we observe communion. It's as I said before, anyone who's a member in good standing in a Bible-believing church, you're welcome. This is not just the table for people that are Presbyterians. Chip Chip also often exhorts us, all people who are in good standing, as I mentioned, and anyone who has put your faith and trust in Christ alone, that you are welcome to come to the table. Again, for an unbeliever, there is no benefit here for you. It's only for those who come in faith. And secondly, this table is for the forgiven. This table is for those that know that they need it that you you need to come here you need to be refreshed and nourished and given grace. You know the outside world this probably seems very silly. So you're telling me that you eat a cracker and you drink some juice and this has somehow has spiritual significance to you. Yes we do. But it's much much more than that. It's much more than that because, as I mentioned, we imagine, we believe in a mysterious way, we are communing with our Savior, our risen Savior, as we partake of these elements. It's more than just we drink this, great, we got our warm fuzzy for the day and we go. We believe we're communing and receiving from our Savior. We're dining with Him and we're remembering what He's done for us. The table is not for perfect people. It is not for people that are striving to be perfect. It's for people who are convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that they aren't perfect and they're trusting in Christ and his sacrifice. I encourage you this morning to think about your faith as the elements are passed. If you believe it's right for you to refrain from partaking of the elements today, that's okay. Pray that the Lord would give you faith to come next time we observe it and that you could partake by faith. And if you are going to receive them, would you do it humbly? But would you do it with gladness? knowing that we commune with the Lord today. There was once a little boy who made a toy boat. He was very excited about this toy boat that he had made. Very proud of it. So he took it out to a river one day. He had it on a string, and he was kind of pulling it along in the river. Strong wind came up, and it pulled the string out of his hand, and the boat just went shooting down the river. He was devastated. He looked until it was too dark for him to look anymore, and he had lost this little boat. A few days passed, and he was walking through town, and he looked in a little shop window, and he saw the boat right there. He said, that's my boat. That's the boat that I made. So he ran inside, and he saw the store manager, and he said, sir, this is my boat. Can I have it back? The manager said, no, someone brought this in a few days ago. If you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. He found out that the little boat was a dollar, and so he ran home, and he got his dollar, and he came back, and he paid for it. And he was walking out of the store, he exclaimed, my boat, you're mine. You're mine twice. Once, because I made you, and secondly, because I purchased you. We are Christ two times over. He made us by the word of his power. He formed you in your womb, and you're his again because he purchased you with his blood. This is what this table tells us. We aren't aren't destined to, to hell and to sin forever. He's redeemed us and purchased us back with that blood. You are His twice. If you ever think that you don't have value and worth in this world, this table reminds you that you have great worth and value. Because He's made it so. He's declared it so by His sacrifice. He's paid the price to redeem you. Let go of your stress and anxiety. Give it to God's care. Let go of your sin and and despair and lay it at the foot of the cross. He loves you and He has sacrificed Himself for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your sacrifice through Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have bought us back with your blood, your perfect life, your atoning death. As we come to the table now, Lord, would you give us faith to receive. In, it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Would you stand now for our...